This is the Dave Emanuel Show, and I'm speaking with Gabriel Vasquez, who recently returned from a trip to Peru. And we're going to talk about one of the, some of the things she's seen and experienced in Peru. And one of those included a hike up the Andes Mountains and a visit to the Inca ruins at Machu Picchu. Now, before we get into the details of your visit, let's talk about the ruins, which were discovered by American historian Hiram Bingham in 1911. Yeah, so um, I've actually learned a ton um, on my five-day hike up to Machu Picchu, uh, a ton more history than I really was anticipating on uh, receiving, but it was extremely interesting. Um, our tour guide was extremely knowledgeable on, every, on everything Inca and Machu Picchu. Um, I had no idea it was actually even discovered by an American archaeologist, <laughs> um, which was insane, but just the massive beauty and um, architectural beauty of Machu Picchu and the other Inca ruins that we saw. Um, it's kind of, it was just breathtaking and, and amazing to see and amazing to stand in, um, actually. So it was a, an amazing, an amazing learning experience. Now, how old do they estimate those ruins to be? Um, they were talking about like 500 BC, I think they were saying. So the Incas actually never had any... Um, written written language or history so everything is kind of what they're just basing off of um a lot of guessing actually um but they were throwing around 500 bc um is kind of what they're they're uh they're estimating okay now machu picchu sits atop a mountain ridge so the trip getting there isn't exactly a walk in the park not take us up take us up the mountain it was a five-day 55-mile hike, um, which is something that we laughed about because there's there's the Inca Trail, which is the most popular, um, but they only sell a certain amount of permits a year, and you have to get in basically a year ahead. Um, we didn't plan. <laughs> we did this very last minute. Um, so we did the Salkantai Trail, um, which if you actually look at a map, it is a giant circle, and you're basically walking away from Machu Picchu. And then kind of on the fifth day showing up at Machu Picchu, <laughs> taking a train to Machu Picchu. Um, but it was the hardest thing I've ever done in my life. It's extremely mentally and physically challenging. Um, I haven't camped since I was like five. <laughs> so that was a new experience for me. But it, it was amazing. It was it was the hardest thing I've ever done, but the most rewarding. Let's talk definitely. about the, the mental, the, the physical aspect. I'm sure as you go higher, mm-hmm. the air gets... More and more thin, and it's yeah. harder to breathe. But mm-hmm. what about what? How does that affect you mentally? Um, mentally, well, there was many a time on a mountain where I was just thinking, okay, if I stop, <laughs> then uh, they just leave me on the mountain. <laughs> um, I also had the option of doing what they well, it was an emergency horse, and a lot of people took that option um, if they couldn't really handle the um, the walking or the hike, and I kind of just didn't want to be that person. <laughs> I didn't want to be the person on the horse just walking past everybody up this huge mountain that was struggling and, you know, it's like rocks on your feet step by step. Um, so it was, it was a big mind game for myself. It was, it was seriously every step I took was a thought of one step closer, one step closer, one step closer. You can stop and sit down, but you'll die on this mountain basically <laughs> but it's five days it, yeah yeah exactly and we entered a bunch of different climates but definitely the hardest time was when we were in such high altitude um 
that was that was difficult. I I didn't believe that altitude sickness was a real thing, and it is. Mm-hmm. It's very much so is. <laughs> <laughs> now, outside of Machu Picchu, obviously, uh, you have a big urban area as well mm-hmm. in many of the cities in Peru. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's leave that for a little bit. But what struck you about the countryside? Obviously, it's very mountainous. Mm-hmm. And how do you how did you see the people going through their daily lives? And then and what can you what kind of picture can you paint for us about the countryside? Well, the scenery is just extremely breathtaking. Every picture I took looked like a you know a wallpaper on a computer screen. It looked like someone painted it or photoshopped me in to a picture, photoshopped you know towns into the picture. Um, the beauty struck me. Um, what really struck me about the people and how they utilize the land. I mean, they, everything they do is based off the land. Um, we learned a ton about um, how they worship the land. They worship the mountains. They worship, they worship the rivers because um, that's literally where their life comes from. So I've never seen the land so appreciated and so utilized as as the people of Peru in many cities that I was in Peru while I was there. Um, they are just so extremely grateful and thankful and respectful um, to the land. So it was amazing to see beautiful sites that had nothing even to do with the people and then how those people were preserving those sites and preserving the beauty and preserving the culture and literally living off the land, their own land that their little shack was on. So that was incredible to see because I don't, I don't think we quite respect it as much here, but they, they really do. Now, Peru has a long... And pretty interesting history that includes having one of the earliest civilizations in the Western Hemisphere. By some estimates, those civilizations date back to 9000 BC. It's not widely known that several societies actually came and went over the years before the Incas rose to prominence in the 15th century. And then in the 16th century, the Spanish conquest put an end to Inca rule. How does that history, from what you saw, translate into what the people go through, what they experience, and and their background. So it was actually incredible to see. When I was in Lima, um, we went to the old city, um, you know, where the Plaza de Armas is, you know, the presidential house, um, a lot of churches there, and we did uh, we did a couple tours of museums, um, and they were huge cathedral churches. The uh, Cathedral of Lima was gorgeous, and um, you could really see the Spanish and Catholic influence that they had on the city. Um, and then when you go somewhere like Machu Picchu or any ruins that you find, I mean, the architecture and the temples, I mean, had not been touched by any other civilization besides the Incas. Um, and you could see the difference between, you know, our tour guide asked us at one point, could you imagine if Machu Picchu was ever found by the Spanish? It would not be anything that it is. It would be cathedrals, you know, Spanish Catholicism, um, priests, Spanish influences, um, and then Spanish speaking eventually. I mean, Machu Picchu would still be a functioning, working city. Um, so you could see, and actually, I didn't even know this, but the official language of Peru was Quechua. It wasn't Spanish. It was Spanish once the Spanish took over and conquered, and now it's just such a predominant language that Quechua is almost unheard of, um, at least in Lima and in the bigger cities. Um, but the people that we met in Cusco and along our hike, a lot of the tour guides that live in Cusco and do these hikes, they still speak speak Quechua. And it is, it's very different from Spanish. It's not like you can just pick it up just if you know Spanish. Um, so you can really um, see, at least architecturally, um, 
and you know language wise the influence um has had on on peru uh, but you still see the way people are built there are still very there's very distinct look to incas and they still have that um that quality to them but the, the spanish influence has been really amazing to to see now i assume like a lot of countries in Central and South America, there's a pretty wide income disparity. Right. And did you see the rich and the poor? I did. I really, really did. So my dad, um, who was actually from Peru, he was born in a small town called Cajamarca, which is a, it's just a small city um, north of Lima. It's like an hour flight from Lima. Um, and this, I mean, that was extremely poor. That was a huge culture shock for me to see. I couldn't believe that people could survive this way, could live this way. Um, you know, still a lot of houses, no running water, no electricity or anything like that. Um, and then we did some catching up with some of my, uh, dad's cousins who kind of, who've stayed in Cajamarca their entire lives, uh, but they had, um, worked in the gold mine business there, um, which was very lucrative. Um, and they made a lot of money. So there would be these big, beautiful houses that you would, you know, commonly see in the United States, you know, um, you know, higher class suburbs of Atlanta that you would see. And it would be these huge houses with pools and gardens and terraces, but on a dirt road next to a shack where, you know, a family of 10 lived and didn't have electricity or water. Uh, we also went to the town where my great grandparents grew up and still to this day, they do not have running water. They do not have electricity. It, they have four walls made out of clay and their roof is typically made out of clay and they that's just how they live. But you could go a mile down the street and someone's in a 10-bedroom house and laying by the pool and drinking margaritas or something. <laughs> so that was interesting, but it was all, all in one city, huge houses on a dirt road next to, you know, very poor families. Now, what do these poor families do for entertainment or just to transition, let's say, from the time they get off work or mm-hmm. they don't work or they mm-hmm. how do they, what do you see in terms of their lifestyle that was actually really cool and really interesting to see because when you uh walk around atlanta or anywhere in the united states people are constantly on their phones kids on the inside playing video games um but you know when it wasn't school hours or work hours everybody was outside playing soccer everybody was playing soccer or just in the streets with their friends and the parks that they had there that was still the cool thing to do is take your girlfriend to the park in the middle of the plaza and just sit and talk nobody was on their phone so and it's just a circle it's a little square and they just do laps and they just thoroughly enjoy talking to one another being with each other and just walking around the city which is something you never see here and I was like that in Lima as well I mean the park on a Saturday night, was flooded with teenagers. Um, so you could really tell that they hadn't been influenced by technology and video games and Game Boys and cell phones and TVs. Um, they still really value one-on-one human interaction, which really is sad that that's a shock to me, that they were mm-hmm. still doing that over there. <laughs> uh, but it was really great to see. So they, they love being outside, and hobbies are still playing soccer and running around with your friends. <laughs> Now, what about crime? We obviously have Mm -hmm. some recent incidents here. Uh, Did you get the impression that the crime is as bad there, worse, or Uh, better? um, I think it's definitely worse there. Uh, My dad's not a very um, paranoid or, you know, type of dad like that or anything, but there's definitely some few times where um, he didn't want to leave me standing alone for a second or, um, 
I would I walk around here holding my cell phone out and I would do that every now and then he would put your phone away um, don't carry your purse here don't do that I uh, don't walk down this alley um, certain things like that so it's definitely it's definitely a bigger issue over there um, so you you have you depending on where you're at you have to be extremely careful um, and I think we get a little bit spoiled here. Mm-hmm. Crime rate's awful here, too, but over there it's just... But is it is it a lot of petty crime, or is it... A lot of petty crime, yeah. So we were actually walking by the police station one day, like, on a Saturday, and it was, like, the the station had set up, um, like, rows and rows and rows of all the stuff that had been stolen and just, like, not claimed. And it, and it was, like, <laughs> motorcycles and TVs and microwaves, and I think I saw a refrigerator. And so it's a lot of that. Um, I think it's a lot of just petty crime and, you know, break-ins and stuff mm-hmm. like that. Um, but... I, I really didn't feel threatened at all when I was there, but I was very well aware that it was an issue. Um, so that was kind of... Now, was this your first trip outside the United States? I mean, I I've done I did a cruise one time, I think, um, which is just basically taking a chunk of America and sailing mm-hmm. around and, like, touching little islands. Um, but this was my first um, real cultural experience, you know, um, in a developing country outside of the United States. And so. what can you say about how it affected you? How do you look at the world now compared yeah. to the way you did before the trip? It's definitely changed my mindset. It was, I remember going, um, we flew into Lima and my family has an apartment there and it was 70 degrees, I think. And I walked in and I was like, whew, turn the AC on. Like, I can't sleep in this. It's hot, and my dad was like, that's a joke. <laughs> uh, there's no AC here. You open a window. And I was like, I can't survive a month here. I was like, oh, my gosh. Like, I need AC. Um, it was that, which was big, and it's a very nice apartment that we have in Lima. So I was kind of acting like a spoiled brat at first. Um, but then once, I mean, we went to Cajamarca, and just to see how they live um, was just, it took a sec to get used to. Um but I ended up, it was weird. Like, I kind of felt, like, at home. I got comfortable. Like, it, I'm, I'm weird about where I sleep. And I was all of a sudden, like, sleeping in, like, the floor, like, camping. I was sleeping with bugs in, like, somebody else's sleeping bag. Um, so it definitely has humbled me um, and has um, definitely reminded me that I live in a bubble here, a very comfortable, uh, clean bubble. <laughs> And going over there just kind of was um, a slap in the face of how everybody else lives. And it's, you know, it reminded me that I'm extremely fortunate and, and grateful for what I have. Um, but not everybody else lives like me. And, you know, not everybody else had their own bedroom growing up or AC or a bed by themselves or room by themselves, let alone a room by themselves. Um, so it it was definitely one of the greatest experiences I've ever had in my entire life. And I, I don't know if I'll ever experience that again. Coming home was too soon. I would just I wasn't ready to come home at all. So which I found it weird missing this country I'd never been to and never lived in and I truly miss it. I miss being there and I was comfortable and I I felt at home there. It was like a different home. So um my eyes have definitely been opened to uh an, in, an entirely different world which is amazing. Do you think you'll go back? I hope so. Um, my family is in the process of selling our properties, so that kind of breaks my heart because um, I have a place to stay when I go to Lima. <laughs> but I want to, you know. There's still a lot a lot that I haven't seen there. Peru is a huge country. Um, mm-hmm. And I only saw, I saw one of the greatest wonders <laughs> in that country, but um, there's definitely a lot more that I would love to see and do there. So I, 
I do hope I get the opportunity to just pick up and leave for a month again. And and what would you tell anybody else who's, oh, let's say 25 years old or younger uh, in terms of how you think they should approach trips like this? Do you think this is something for everybody? Yes, or it's, it's for you? everybody. Go. Just do it. I think that was something I really regretted in college. I never, I had the opportunity to study abroad and I, I don't know, I think I probably deep down was scared to take it. I didn't really leave my comfort zone. Um, but it was amazing. I mean, you know, how we live right now is just very small room in this entire world. Um, and I don't think you can truly understand and appreciate planet earth without go see it, like Mm -hmm. go live it, go be in it. Um, you can't sit around and talk about it and talk about how you know everything and how, you know, this and that, um, just go I mean I really truly believe my mom thinks I'm like a hippie in this sense because she's like you can travel when you're 60 and retired and and I tell her all the time I was like I don't think I'm what if I'm not here when I'm 60 you know what I mean (laughs) what if I'm not alive when I'm 60 like heaven forbid that um but if you have the opportunity if you have the means if you have the time you really have no excuses to why you can't um, and it's important. It was the greatest educational experience of my life. So there's some stuff that just textbooks and universities can't teach you. Mm-hmm. And I think it's experience. Now let's let's talk about a little bit about travel in a foreign country. Uh, if you don't speak the language, mm-hmm. is there enough predominance of English as a mm-hmm. second language in countries like oh, that? Yeah, definitely. It? it definitely was that improved. So I took Spanish all of high school, and it was my minor in college. And I'm still not fluent, but <laughs> you think I would be at this point, but I'm not. Um, so I actually was fine. I, I could get by personally. Um, and then my dad, of course, spoke Spanish. Mm-hmm. So I, I did okay. But when I wasn't with my dad, um, it was definitely a struggle. And the th- cool thing about people is if you want to relay something, if you want to get a point across, you will, no matter what language you speak. Um, it might take you a little while, but you'll get mm-hmm. your point across. Um, but actually in Peru, I mean, English is taught from day one. My, my tour guide spoke Quechua Spanish and English all fluently. And he, it was just because he took a couple classes in English and then he would sit in, you know, the square of his town and talk to tourists. Mm-hmm. That, uh, everybody spoke English. I mean, especially in towns like Cusco and Lima, every, everybody speaks English. Um, so, yes, it's very it's a very predominant uh, language there. Um, but even if you don't, you know, even if you did go somewhere that just Spanish is kind of easy and you can kind of pick up quicker, I think, as opposed to like Chinese or something like that. Right. Um, but like I said, I think you'll you'll get your point across one way or another. I use Google Translate a lot. I would yeah, type it in and I would take right. screenshots and show the sure, taxi sure. driver, this is where we want to go, this is where we want to see. And he we figured it out eventually. Mm-hmm. Technology <laughs> eventually. always comes in handy. <laughs> it was, definitely, definitely. Okay, well, it's just, just some great, great views. Uh, it's, it's always nice to hear somebody's experience when they go to a foreign country because there is so much to learn and, right. and such a different lifestyle to to both witness and to soak in and mm-hmm. see how that applies to mm-hmm. your own lifestyle. Yeah, definitely. Doesn't definitely makes you appreciate things. Uh, very much so. <laughs> okay. Thank you very much. Thank you.